welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired, and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. All right, welcome to episode nine with Deirdre as a party. Now, while I was fishing around the World Wide Web trying to find an OT who is interested in and knowledgeable in the space of inclusion for children with disabilities, the universe introduced me to Deirdre through our beloved Facebook groups. We connected and I immediately knew she was a kindred spirit. So Deirdre, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Uh, Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here myself. And absolutely, we are without a doubt kindred spirits. Yes. (laughs) So a little bit about Deirdre. She is an OT with over 25 years of experience working with children with special needs in both private and public school settings. She has both a bachelor's and a doctoral degree in occupational therapy and a master's degree in psychology. She has extensive training in sensory integration, DIR floor time, art play, self-regulation, and SOS feeding approach. And she's also a registered yoga teacher for both adults and children, as well as trained, as well as a trained mindfulness instructor. So Deidre, I know you have this um, blog site called We Instead of Me. And you share a lot of amazing information there. And you have presented extensively on topics related to social emotional learning and also published a peer-reviewed continuing education module in OT today on using cognitive behavioral techniques for children with autism spectrum disorders. Yes. And exercise. So, so and exercise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do believe a lot of, um, in, uh, how we can use exercise as a tool, but go ahead. Awesome. Okay. So, Deidre, we have talked about this before. I, this is one of my, my um, I think, pet peeves, I think, about our profession in the schools. I just feel like we are in a crisis situation in school practice more now than ever. Because, honestly, handwriting skills, fine motor skills, as much as we can argue, is going to the back burner. We see, we know a lot more than we did before. The opportunities that are out there for our students with special needs and things that they can be using their strengths and getting better with. And as OTs, we have have a huge scope in our practice. We are licensed to do a lot of different things. Are we addressing the more pressing needs of our clients at this time? We do have a huge scope and we cannot be everything to everyone. But what do you think about this? Yeah, well, um, no, I couldn't agree more that somehow I think we've allowed ourselves to be uh, pigeonholed into these, you know, majorly discrete areas um, and have stayed super quiet uh, about, you know, other ways that we can contribute to the school community. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when we allow ourselves to be pigeonholed really only into this fine motor or um, sensory processing areas in schools, you know, we just miss out on a lot of opportunities to really help children in their occupations, which is being a student 
and being a player. Um, and, and really, that is where um, we are supposed to shine, right? And, and we have so much knowledge to, to do that. And so that's why I just um, kind of shifted my own focus into working more in social emotional um, skills, because if you don't have those, you can't access really any of the curriculum. Uh, and, and I think that we actually, you know, I think we've kind of abandoned this whole, you know, half of our education was really on mental health, really, because it's such a huge part of who we are as people. And uh, yeah, so I just think that we we are actually the experts on how you bring, you know, how you combine the body and the mind, where we kind of allowed ourselves to kind of forget that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you said being a student and being an active player, that is OT, right? Participation, participation in your occupations. And as a student participation in the occupation of schooling and education that is as broad as we can be talking about in the school system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think because we, you know, perhaps, you know, being broad sometimes makes us feel like we don't know how to articulate our role. And mm -hmm. so then we've, uh, you know, maybe it's just feel safer <laughs> to mm -hmm. allow ourselves to be, um, you know, just in these boxes that don't seem so relevant a lot of the time. Yeah, it, it is kind of comforting to just know exactly what you're supposed to do and to be able to do that, right? Like to say, okay, I do handwriting and I do fine motor and then just put ourselves in those secure little boxes. But that is, um, yeah, that's not being true to our profession and who we are. Exactly. I mean, and, and, mm -hmm. and the other thing is, is, is it fun for us? I mean, like, I, I just feel like, you know, we, we, we work for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. um, there's 20% of all OTs are in the school system. So there's so many of us, you know, we have like, we really could uh, make huge changes in the schools just based on our numbers. Um, but we have to be able to, you know, want to do that. And, and to be able to broaden our scope or, or, or we're going to become irrelevant. I agree. I agree. And I feel sometimes that people feel that need, the, the need to change, but lack the knowledge on how to do, what else do I do kind of thing. You know, once you've been in this for a while and you see that there is other, other things that you need to do, but then your, your clients don't see you for who you are but rather have an expectation placed on you to address certain skills in the IP. And we are a really small number. We are a large number in our profession working in the school system, but in the school system, we are very few compared to other professionals. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, and that's yeah. why it's so important for us to kind of get out of our rooms. And, mm -hmm. and, that, and that is why we have a huge opportunity in uh, promoting inclusion, right? Yeah. By getting out of our rooms and, yes helping a child to integrate into the school community uh, instead of just kind of spending all of our time ticking boxes mm -hmm. um, of IEP goals. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think that we, you know, it's, it takes work, <laughs> but it's, yes, a lot it more fun. it's a lot more fun. It has to be more it fun. Is. It us. is. Yeah. And if, if we stop doing meaningful things, then it just gets very boring. And, and, and then we, we start feeling burnt out. Exactly. Because so, yeah. it shouldn't be, especially, you know, and, and there's studies on this, right? So, yeah. so when they look at, um, there, there's a really interesting study where they looked at um, 
uh, teachers who were um, burnt out, right? Mm -hmm. And what they found was if you are um, burnt out as a teacher, uh, the cortisol levels of the children in your classroom are mm -hmm. higher than for teachers who don't feel that way, teachers who feel like in, engaged in school and stuff like that. So, I mean, how important it is then that we don't uh, come into school burnt out because then we impact children even on a physiological level, right? That's huge. That's a huge thing. That so, is. Yeah. That's, so that's I, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be the one to, to, to make a kid feel like, you know, that we're, uh, kids know, kids always know. Oh, like yes. A, a, kid, a kid knows if you're, if you're actually really not engaged in what you're doing. Yep. 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 They definitely uh, pick up on our lives so easily. Um, now, like you said, inclusion is is big. I mean, like I became interested because I felt the need to get more bang for the bucks, meaning I felt that with all that I'm licensed to address in the school system, am I doing what is most impactful? And I felt that our kids can do so much better when they are in the midst of their peers who understand them and support them, and they are going to be their future, right? So this is OT intervention at the environmental level. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on what you think this this can how this can be addressed, especially for kids with complex needs. You know, children who are in self-contained classrooms and who don't get a lot of interaction with the rest of their um, their neurotypical peers. Yeah, so so we can be such a great gateway for that, right? So mm -hmm. you know, can, we ha we can think of many different ways to help kids to kind of leave their little discreet room and come out and join the community. Mm -hmm. But that requires planning. It requires, first of all, also presuming that the child can do more than what is in front of them, right in front of you. I think a lot of times it's really about presuming competence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, ableism is so baked into our culture uh, and we, we all have it in us. Uh, even even people who are you know putting devoting their lives to kids with disabilities, we we have expectations of what it means to have a cognitive impairment and things mm -hmm. like that. I, I just I, I've been really getting involved in um, augmentative communication and mm -hmm. uh, just really getting interested in it. And and I, I really found that you know for most of us it's like this thing that speech therapists do and it's for kids you know, to maybe make a few requests, but there's this whole world of people who are actually working on literacy and helping kids to learn how to type from a very young age so that they can really talk about their emotions and, you know, use this to um, interact with the world, right? Deirdre, I just so love what you're bringing up because I feel for the longest time, I personally, as an OD, I have to admit and be vulnerable and say that for the longest time, you know, I didn't see myself as having a big role to play in that communication part of their lives. I mean, I would use certain strategies that the speech therapist, you know, shows me and stuff like that. But but there, there's so much more to that, right? Communication is opening out a world for our students, a world of opportunities for our students. And it it's a team effort. All of these things are definitely a team effort. Oh, I, I love, so I love all the research on transdisciplinary. So transdisciplinary mm -hmm. means that if I walk into a room, I am an administrator, I walk into a room, I should not know who the, anybody is in that room. We should know each other's stuff so well 
Yes. That we have, you have, there is, the lines are so blurred and, Mm -hmm. and I, and no, but what's so fascinating about this world of AAC and literacy is what some of these researchers, and this has been around for years. And and one of the problems I think in schools is that like the research doesn't get down to the people, (laughs) you know, no, no, not just in schools. (laughs) Yeah. I guess everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The research kind of stays in their ivory towers, but, but what they've found is that and what they believe is really that every child, every, and they say there is no exceptions, really can learn to read and write. And, mm-hmm. and, and reading and writing just opens up this huge world. So, so who, who better than us to look at all the barriers to the child's ability to do that? Yeah. Right? And, and I think that's also the same thing that we can do to help kids to be able to be in the mainstream. What are the barriers to them being able to interact with their peers? What are the barriers? Usually it's adults, it's adults, yeah. not kids. Kid, kids Kids, are open and loving and caring and until adults create the environment where we have other, you know, they go over there, they are other. It's really, a, it's really an adult problem, not a kid problem. You know, I'm so glad you bring this up because I, I think this, I was going to talk to you about um, the least dangerous assumption, mm. the, the concept of least dangerous assumption, where we, we assume, we presume that it is not the child, but it's the teaching method, right? Yeah. We believe that every, every child is capable of learning. Yes. And if, if they're not learning, then instead of assuming that the problem is with a child, it's safer, it's least, it's the least dangerous uh, assumption to assume that it is the teaching method that is erroneous. Exactly. Exactly. Because if it's with the child, where do we go from there? Mm -hmm. Right? Where do we go from there? And I I know for myself, uh, and I, you know, I, I will admit, I have been guilty of this, where I, uh, my expectations of the child, because of my own frustration and mm-hmm. my own stuckness in my own ideas, um, leads me to think that the child can't do it. But when I decide to get out of my own way and decide the opposite, well, mm-hmm. you know, if the child can't do it, then I am the only one here who can change. Uh, and then from my changing, the ch- we, I open up the opportunity for the child to change. Um, but, but it requires, uh, curiosity. It requires looking outside of our own limited, you know, limited practices. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have to look at the research that's happening in education or psychology or so, you know, or, or speech therapy or wherever. Um, I just said it to you the other day, like to a speech therapist, I said, we're talking to kids all day long, every day. I have to know what you want me to do. I have to know your, I have to know your field. As you have to know my field, you want to understand emotional regulation. How important is that for your ability to communicate? Let's talk about it all the time. Like, you know, those are the kind of conversations I think that are so important. And that's how you help a kid to integrate into the larger community. I love it. I I, I love it. And it it is something we have to keep in our forefront in our interventions to be able to take the time to collaborate, to take the time to actually have discussions about our, our, our kiddos with other professionals and really, you know, blend our, our, our interventions. So it's totally, it's truly transdisciplinary. Please. I, what's most important for the student. Exactly. I mean, I've had conversations with PE teachers um, mm-hmm. because I, I, I love exercises and intervention 
Mm -hmm. um, instead of just sort of like sensory interventions, even though I, 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 I'm a big believer in sensory integration, a lot of children cannot access gyms. They don't have the ability to do that. And especially as kids get older, they're not appropriate, a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. so, so how can we help a kid by teaching them to use just straight up exercise as a way to help them with regulating their mood, regulating their energy, um, understanding their body, connecting to their body. Like there's so many ways to do it. So PE mm -hmm. teachers, PE teachers have a huge opportunity to help us out with this. Yeah. Right. Instead of making yes. PE about competition, help, help make PE about how you feel in your body during it. It's so simple in the middle of a class, just talk mm -hmm. about it. You know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's such a simple, easy thing, but you have to be able to reach out of your own little lane. If you're sitting in your fine motor room, you know, checking off boxes with um, handwriting, you're never getting there. <laughs> I totally agree. And and I just love your lessons, by the way, Deirdre. I've, I've, I've used um, some of them with, with my kiddos and just trying to, you know, bring them to this awareness. Okay, put your hand on your heart and, and feel the heartbeat like do they really understand that interoception part, right? That is quite a challenge for a lot of our kids, but just guiding them into feeling where their legs are and, and feeling, you know, where they're breathing and smelling something and becoming aware of those things. And if these can be integrated into PE, integrated into art, that's amazing. And, and, and we can do that, right? We exactly. Can yeah. But then we have to go. We have to go to we our have class. We have to step out, right. <laughs> we have to go to art class. I mean, and, and, and we also have to recognize it in ourselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and to start to become aware of when we're not being present and when we're not really listening and when we're not modeling the things that we want kids to be able to do. So all of those things are so important and so important in inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that I think is the greatest thing about really including neurotypical children with kids with disabilities is that we give kids, we give the neurotypical kids the opportunity to like learn more about the diverse world that they live in and to not have fear and, and to, and to open themselves up to being empathetic. And, and, and there's like all this research to show that empathetic kids actually do better in this world. They, 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 they are the ones that thrive. Yes. You know, so, so who better than to like, I mean, what you did, what you did, your project where you really brought your kids into community with these, uh, with the neurotypical children in the school. And I'm not going to tell, you can tell your own story, but you know, you, you brought in all of this, you know, uh, really sensory issues, right? Sensory processing was part of it, right? Because mm -hmm. Because there was gardening and there was connection to the earth. And that's, you know, all about mindfulness. And, and then also about the feelings that happen when all of these children integrate together. And like what, what the downstream effects of that are. And you'll never know, right? You moved. You'll never know the downstream effects of you bringing all those kids together. Yeah, I mean, I hope I've lit at least one candle over there that's going to spread the light out. <laughs> that's all we can do, right? I mean, I, but I think that little effort in, in being able to address outside of our kids' little circle and then going to the community that they're going to be part of and bringing the community to them, I think that effort is an effort in the right direction with our, with our, with our students. Exactly, but it, but, yeah. but it requires us to be able to have a little moxie. 
and you know um have a little you know ha- you're gonna have to not be you're gonna have to go to the administration yeah you know you have to get a little bit of support yeah, yeah. um but mm-hmm. yeah but there's plenty of evidence out there it's not like the evidence isn't there um the mm-hmm. evidence for integrate integrating services is there it's not like we don't have to search very far for it the, the evidence yeah. for inclusion is yeah is is it has been done i mean this this podcast is really a call for ot's out there school-based ot's to to i mean i know different therapists are at different levels in their career and exposed to different things and i i hope when it comes to you know um school practice and then they come to a point where they're reflecting oh, am i doing something that is really making a difference in my kid in my um kiddos lives I just hope that they um, start thinking outside the, the student and the client factors, you know, going to the contextual level to address student needs. And even, and even um, you know, Savitha, how about um, expanding to the teachers, right? Inspiring the teachers that work in the classrooms, right? You know, to think differently, right? How, and what is the downstream effects of that? There's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. or the siblings or the parents. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that sometimes school based OTs feel like second class citizens, you know, sort of that the clinic based the yes. clinic based OTs have gotten all of the um, you know, have gotten all of the glory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is that we are in the social world of a child. Mm-hmm. That's the opportunity we have that the clinic-based OTs do not have. So we shouldn't squander it. We shouldn't squander yeah. it by being just a clinic-based OT in school. Right, yeah. You make a very, very valid point. And that's the speciality of our practice, right? We see kids where they spend the most of their day. In their natural context. In their natural environment, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and so we have such a great opportunity. Um, <laughs> It, but we have to we have to get to know the gym teacher. We have to get to know the art teacher. We have to go to recess. I mean, yes, you know, that's occupation based practice. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of where I think people get stuck is spending so much time thinking about, you know, these very tiny, minute, uh, you know, um, integrating reflexes and visual uh, visual processing and all that stuff. And that's great. Except mm-hmm. that if you get too down that rabbit hole, yeah. you, you, you know, you're, again, you're really just focusing on the child um, and, and not really looking at the community that the child's in. Yeah, yeah. You don't, yeah. Bang for the bucks, right? You have only so much time where exactly. you can have influence. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Education, educating people. And, and, and to educate others, we need to educate ourselves, right? So, I mean, like, once you start looking in this direction, you're going to find resources in that direction. Like, I came across you. I came, I've learned so much from you. And only because, because I went searching for that. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And, 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 and I, from you, um, you know, it's, it's just so exciting to see um, OTs doing the kind of projects that you've been doing. Like, that's really really inspiring to me. Um, and, 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 you know, I've done little, I've done things over the years that I go, yeah, that's what makes me feel good. You know, mm-hmm. not, not 
not a kid learning this one thing, but, um, you know, helping to create a friendship. Right. I think that's I mean, a long way with them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's just something that, you know, you'll never know what that meant to the child or the child's family. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then just skipping and jumping into our OT space, right? Our philosophy, the core of OT philosophy is man through the use of his hands, her hands are as they are energized by mind and will can influence the state of his or her own health. This is maybe mm-hmm. Riley's um, all famous quote that is in most of our OT textbooks, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we and we we engage with our environment through the process of doing. Yes. Right. Can we, we talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Remember, yeah. Well, so I think, yeah, no, I basically, you know, I, I'll give you an example. We, we've been talking about integrating our OT services more in my, um, lately we've been talking about it more in my school district. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we've done, we've been doing it over the years in different ways in different classrooms, really sort of when we're invited in, when we have relationships, but my administration's kind of like talking about it more and more and more. And we're having all of this like professional development ahead of time. And mm-hmm. so it's very much the same as um, sort of thinking about what occupational therapy is about. You, you get better at doing by doing not by talking about doing, not about thinking about doing, really taking sort of that imperfect action and just starting. Because if we don't start and we wait till it gets, it, it's so perfect, we never do anything. So I think that's one of the beauties of, you know, beauty of our profession is I that just it. through the actual doing, we I, will get I better. I so love it. We you will make it Mm-hmm. I think this is such a big aspect of inclusion because oftentimes we're always saying our kids are not ready, right? They're, they're not ready to be in mainstream or they're not ready to do mm-hmm. this and that. They have to be working on all these foundational things. We'll work on the foundational things, but you never know when they will be ready, right? Oh, gosh. So, so you, have to, you have to immerse them in, in where you want them to be ready at and then prepare them for that, right? So that would be a more fruitful approach. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You just made, you just hit the point. That's yes. the whole thing. The ready, right? the ready is, um, uh, there's way too many gatekeepers for ready, way too many gatekeepers for ready. And, and, um, uh, uh, AAC is a great example of meditative communication, right? There's many, and I've been hearing that for years, many, many therapists who say that, you can't have a communication system until you are showing these prerequisite skills. You know, possibly you're using a PEX board, right? And you're using the, you know, the PEX system to be able to point to a picture and show some that you understand the relationship. Do you know there's like no evidence to support that? That actually, you know, using um, uh, voice output is what helps kids to like be excited about it and motivated about it. Mm-hmm. So there is no ready. <laughs> you just you just do it yeah, you yeah, just do yeah, it yeah. you provide it and then uh, and then you see what happens and also you have to be willing for it to look really bad for a while so you have to be willing to go into a classroom and do a really bad job yeah. and that be okay because over time you will get much better 
and then still make one million mistakes and that be okay also. Like one of the things I think is super important and I, and I, I, I taught a course about this mm-hmm. is that OTs have to be willing to teach groups, large groups, the whole class. If you are not willing to teach a whole class, then don't tell a teacher what to do because you are coming from no place of authenticity. But you're going to really love it. You're going to really kind of stink at it in the beginning because you know what you never learned? You didn't never learned in OT school classroom management skills, right? We don't know that. So so you're, you're going to be really, really not great at it. And you're going to realize all of your little, you know, um, pixie dust that you drop down and tell teachers what to do doesn't always work. And that the kid in the corner who's calling out and jumping up and down and throwing things across the room is really challenging. <laughs> is really challenging. So it really yeah, they're so- the ones who face it all day long, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that part of you that is so judgmental about you know the way that teachers act in the classroom, you know, starts to soften a little bit when you actually do the work. So you got to kind of put up or shut up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And very I- very true. And I think that's another reason that we can really help with inclusion because we say, you know, we know that this is going to take a while and this isn't going to look great all the time. And, you know, um, and then we help a lot. What I think is really, really important inclusion is that we help when um, we hear adults and this happens all the time. And I know it's happened in your career when adults say things like they don't belong here. Right. Once we get that sentence is put out into the air that a child does not belong. I think that the most important thing we can do is say, yes, they do. Yes, they do. They belong. This is where they belong. This is where they belong. Where else would they belong? Where else would they belong? This is where they belong. And really to shut down the conversation that happens because of adult fear and because we don't think that, you know, we have the capacity to help the child. That is all, again, adult issues. All children belong. That, that's it. They not agree 100% more. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I always think, I, I, when aides say to me things like, you know, if it's a one-to-one aide in a classroom bringing a child in and say the parent has really pushed the child to do this and the school district's really not into, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They say, what should, you know, what's my number one thing? I say, shut down the conversation. That's your number one thing. Because if somebody's going to walk up to you and they're going to say the sentence, you know what? Yeah, this kid doesn't really belong here. And you're going to say, yes, they do. And then that's the end of the conversation, <laughs> right? Yes, they do. They belong yes. here because they are a child and they belong here. And we have to help him or her to figure that out. Uh, but we have to stay really open to lots of possibilities and be really patient. Yeah. And this is our real world, right? Our world is made of people of all different abilities, people who can be very annoying to us, people mm-hmm. who can actually be really nice to us when everybody else thinks they're annoying to us. This is this is the world we are all moving in, that we all live in. That's natural. And yeah. for us to pull a kid out of this natural world and say, you don't belong here because you're too noisy and you disturb everybody else is a judgment made by the adults, not the kids. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then, and then, and then sometimes a child feels overwhelmed and we have to find places, you know, for a kid to take a break. That's, that's also valid, but, yeah. mm-hmm. but we can't put these parameters around them because you have this diagnosis because you have that you belong over here and they belong over here. That's not fair. Um, and that's all, you know, again, just adult issues. 
it is it is yeah yeah and again getting back to the least dangerous dangerous assumption is if it's not the kids fault it's us not knowing what to do better and we've exactly. got to, and the responsibility is ours is and it's hard right mm-hmm. i mean there's it is so hard. It is it's hard. hard it's hard this is not easy stuff you know i uh, you know when you see teachers who are trying to make everything very neat and tidy and, and put it in a bow none of this is neat or tidy um uh, people are messy uh you know dis- disability is very messy mm-hmm. <laughs> um so the answers are just never um black and white they are always major shades of gray but we have to be open um, and not be the ones to create some kind of black and white because it not, doesn't exist. There is no black and white. There isn't. Yeah. 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 And yeah, and then just coming back to our OT world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this, can you share some experience from your life on how you have promoted inclusion in your school setting? Well, one thing that I did that's so easy that if somebody wants to dip their toe into inclusion, mm-hmm. um, is uh, is is doing integrated lunch bunches. It, I this love it. <laughs> so easy. You have a child that um, you really want to help um, to, for them to just learn how to kind of, especially kids, um, uh, you know, autistic kids, that mm-hmm. that they want. You can tell that they want to have um, be more social, but they just don't know what to do. You can, uh, you know, enroll a child, uh, a neurotypical child, to come to lunch with you. Now, this th- this requires uh, no major skills. You don't have to take kids that are on your caseload. Just a, a neurotypical child from your school that you believe you can coach. So you coach the neurotypical child to help you with the um the child with the disability uh and 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 it works really well because the the disabled child is always being coached and there's so much onus being put on them all of the time so you just leave that kid alone and you tell the neuro so this is what i've done you take the neurotypical child and you say listen you know johnny is great johnny is funny and smart and they can do all of these amazing things you can't even believe the math they can do it's unbelievable but 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 speaking is hard Speaking is hard for them. And so, and, and eye contact is really tough. But I know that you are an expert in how to play. And I know if you were just silly and don't ask them a lot of questions and, and just, you know, in, engage them in whatever kind of silly play, because you're the expert, I'm not, adults are not very good at it, but kids are very good at playing. Um, I, I have a feeling that you guys could have a, a lot of fun. Do you think you could help me out with this? Um, you could learn a lot from them. They can learn a lot from you. And um, and it's been really great. And so then you stay out of the way a little bit. You put kids, you face them towards each other. Mm-hmm. You know, people have their lunch and then you let them play. You just set up something that they can both do together that's simple and easy. Because again, a lot of kids, especially with disabilities, have such motor planning issues. We don't want to give them something that they're putting too much cognitive load on the, on the motor, right? So make it simple. Tag. Uh, you know, I don't know, uh, something jumping, uh, easy, easy, kind of fun, uh, Play-Doh or Legos or um, things like that. Very something that the, uh, the, 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 the um, child, the disabled child is already mastered. It's easy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you just see what happens. You know, you just see what happens. And uh, it's really been awesome. Um, you know, I've had kids who, first of all, the, the neurotypical kids love it. They love it. 
They learn a lot about the other child. And, uh, you know, I've just had some really nice things happen downstream because of that. You know, the kids see each other at school. Mm -hmm. Then they know that kid. Then they're they're willing to help the kid in another context. They're open to the child having a meltdown. They know that the kid actually has all these other strengths. You know, so it's really, it's been really nice to do that kind of stuff. And it's easy. That's like a nothing thing to do. You're giving up a lunch. I love it. And what you have shared right now is an immediately actionable item. <laughs> oh, it's like nothing. It's like a joke. It's, it's like a nothing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like OTs can do this tomorrow, right? Not exactly. They can just take it. They can, you know, take their student or or maybe give 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 it a week and plan it out. So you know, you have all these activities ready for taking them out to the you know to to lunchroom and and setting up this lunch bunch. It's so yeah. simple. Like this yeah. year we couldn't do it because of COVID mm-hmm. um, because of all this nonsense with COVID. But uh, before, you know, it, it was really not a whole lot, a big deal. I just, I just got um, permission from the parent of the neurotypical child, which is, I, I never had a parent say no. They were like, of mm-hmm. course, that makes sense that you would want to do. That. I mean, like my, my son would love it or my, my daughter would love it. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's just a, it's a no brainer. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, they all have lunch together in the cafeteria anyway, in some schools. And so sometimes what I've done, just just to think about that, I sometimes take them out of the cafeteria, right? Because the cafeteria is very loud and there's a lot of stuff going on. And you can definitely do it in the cafeteria. But I'm just saying for the first time, sometimes it's nice to actually take two kids and come to a smaller, quieter space. Mm. Um, And a lot of times I use dyads. Right. Because Mm -hmm. especially with a kid who has a lot of social challenges, sometimes groups are too much. Right. Three is hard. Usually then the two neurotypical children tend to to play together. So I I really like the dyad um, for for a lot of my kids. Uh, And 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 then you can move that into the cafeteria. But but Mm -hmm. it's just a simple thing. Like, you know, you want to come. It's quiet. Maybe you'll like actually. And I'm really the neurotypical kids like eating lunch quietly, too. Sometimes, you know, it's not it's not like it's no big stretch trying to get them to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a great idea. Um, so yeah, Deirdre, thank you so much. Um, do you, okay before before we wind down with this thing, do you have something a takeaway for the listeners? Yeah, okay. again, mm-hmm. take some action. Take some imperfect action. Think bigger, um, and and think think like what makes me really feel good and feel like you know my work has meaning. Because we're all searching for that. We, you know, we want to have, we want to have meaning in the world. We want to, you know, um, feel like what we're doing matters, um, you know, and, and I think we have the opportunity to do that. So just think bigger. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Jump into action. Forget the imperfection. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Thanks, Deirdre. It was Thank so fun you. talking to you again. Awesome. Thanks, Savita. Mm-hmm.